Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. The Almighty is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. So we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. This is the conclusion of this section in Paul's letter that talks about loving and serving our neighbor. This section starts at chapter 5, verse 13, and it goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 10. In in verses 11 through 18, Paul gives his personal handwriting. I'll talk about that next week. And he concludes his letter, puts some finishing touches on it. So Yahweh's will will get through that in one or possibly two more lessons. But we're going to begin today with verse 7. Paul starts to sum up this section about love and service to our neighbor, how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember, the entire law, the horizontal law, is fulfilled in one word, one statement. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he sums this up here in chapter 6, verse 7, by saying, don't be deceived. The Almighty is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Now, someone may go about their life doing whatever they want to do, And everything just seems okay. No major problems when something bad happens. You just come up with a human solution. And you just keep doing your own thing. You can, people can in general, slowly over time forget Yahweh in His ways and go your own way. And things will feel smooth for a while. But we should never deceive ourselves into thinking that we can live in a way that mocks the Creator. Eventually, whatever it is that we have been planting will sprout up and we will reap what we have sown or we will reap what we have planted. If you plant tomato plants, what do you get? Tomatoes. If you plant okra seeds, what do you get? Okra. It's not complicated at all. But it just doesn't seem as cut and dried to the spiritual realm, but yet it is. Judgment will come at the proper time to the person who continuously sows to the flesh. You cannot live any way you want to live and get away with it with the Almighty. Even if judgment takes place after death, it will still take place for those who lived according to the works of the flesh. A person might live their entire life on this earth sowing, planting to the flesh, living a wicked life. And let me tell you, it's nothing but the mercy of Yahweh that allows a person to live and sow to the flesh over and over and not be zapped instantly. It is only Yahweh's mercy. But even when this happens, even when a person lives their entire life and you look at them and you're you're a righteous person walking in the commandments, you're a just man or a just woman as the New Testament refers to it as. And you see this unholy, wicked, unrepentant sinner and they live and they seem like everything is just going fine. Even when that happens, after death, after the person dies, comes the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. Yahweh will not be mocked. You can't live any way that you want to and get away with it 
with the Creator. Now verse 8 tells us this much. It says, Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Now, I do believe that sowing and reaping takes place in the here and now. And what I mean by that is, I believe that you can sow to your flesh and you can reap trouble in this life. And you can sow to the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, righteousness, and you can reap blessings in this life. A life that is dedicated and devoted to Yahweh will not be free from affliction. We just sang Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. we got some preachers today teaching that we're not ever supposed to go through affliction. But the psalmist said many are the afflictions of the righteous. But I love the second part. Yahweh delivereth them out of them all. Sometimes that deliverance doesn't take place until the resurrection of the just. Sometimes deliverance takes place in the here and now. A life serving Yahweh, a life devoted to Yahweh is not free from affliction. But I guarantee you it will be a better life in this present time than if you are dedicated and devoted to sin and the devil. But in this verse, I don't think that Paul is specifically or ultimately talking about in the here and now. I think Paul is centering in on our ultimate harvest in eternity. We know this because he speaks of eternal life from the Spirit. Verse 8 to the one who plants seeds according to the Spirit. So the contrast is eternal life for the righteous versus corruption for the wicked. He says this in Romans 6.23. It's a great verse. I learned it when I was a little kid. But the wages of sin is death. The gift of Yahweh is eternal life. And so this is the same thing. Eternal life for the righteous, corruption or death from the wicked. So this helps us believers because sometimes we can live a life in service to Yahweh and still go through things in our life that makes us wonder, is Yahweh really here? Affliction after affliction, turmoil, trial, test after test. And we wonder, where is Yahweh? We wonder. It's not that we stop believing in Him, but we're humans. We begin to wonder, where are you at, Father? A sickness, a disease, a trial, a test. The truth is that the best lessons learned come through the toughest trials and the toughest tests. The purest gold is that which is tried and refined by fire. That is when you will learn the most when Yahweh puts you to the test. As believers and followers of Yahweh Almighty, whatever happens here in our earthly life is not even worthy to be compared to our eternal life in our resurrected, glorified body. We have a promise from Yahweh of resurrection to immortality. I like to tell people that Yahweh didn't promise the rapture, but He promised the resurrection. (laughs) Paul wasn't on trial for the rapture of the church. He was on trial for the resurrection of the dead. Our cold, dead body that gets buried will raise to new life at the final consummating coming of our Messiah. Just as Yahweh raised up Yeshua from death, so also will He raise us up from death, all those that believe on Him. And the 70 to 100 years that we experience here on earth in this body that is corruptible, that is terrestrial, earthly, it'll seem like the grass that withers away compared to the thousands and thousands and thousands of years and where we'll live forever in the kingdom 
If our hope was in this life only, we would be most miserable. It is okay to enjoy this life. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about that. It's fine to be happy. It's fine to have moments of greatness. But never anchor your hope to the body that you now possess. Don't anchor your hope to that. Because we all will have to die one day. It's not something that we think about when we're young. I don't even think about it a lot now and I'm pushing 40 years old. I don't think about it a lot. And I think that people younger than me, I know I didn't ever think about dying then, but sometimes it comes up in my mind and it seems like the older you get, or at least to me so far, that maybe the more you begin to think about it because you're drawing nigh in your winter season of life. Death is not something that we like to talk about, but... For example, I knew that my granddaddy was going to eventually die. Tisha and I had talked about it. I had called my mom, I don't know, a year or two before he died and asked her if I could say a eulogy or a good word at my granddaddy's funeral. Not in anticipation that he was going to die next week, but just I knew in my mind he would get old and he would die. It felt like, though, that I would always be able to go over to his house and have him kiss me on my cheek and tell me, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he says, Peter adds to that and says, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. He liked charity. He was King James man. Charity, love. I said, yes, granddaddy. I looked up the scriptures and that's one doctrine that I didn't change on when I left the Pentecostal church. <laughs> was the holy kiss. Do you know why? Because it's not Pentecostal doctrine. It's scriptural doctrine. So I'm not against everything that the Pentecostal church teaches, but I do keep the day of Pentecost. I guarantee you that. But granddaddy would kiss me and you'd smell that polo cologne on him. He'd slobber on my face and he kissed everybody, you know. He called everybody granddarling and he loved to love. But the time for all that has come and gone. He died. He was almost just shy of 77 years old. It's a reality that will happen for all of us. It's been going on for thousands of years. Prophet Moses died. They mourned for him. Elder Aaron, the high priest, died. They cried. They mourned for him for 30 days in Israel. It's been going on for thousands of years. But as believers, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We have a blessed hope, and that is the resurrection of the dead. Someone told me the other day that they were speaking to an unbeliever, and this person, this unbeliever, expressed that they were so scared of dying because they didn't know what was on the other side. I cannot imagine having that feeling. I don't even know what I would want to live for if I just believed that we were all evolved, stardust, bumping into one another. I don't see any difference than shaking up a Pepsi and a Coca-Cola, taking the tops off and seeing which one fizzes out the fastest. If we're just evolved stardust, if we're not image bearers of the Creator. It doesn't make any sense to me. And then poof, we're just gone and nothing happens in the afterlife. That's not my belief, though, see. I have hope in the resurrection. My hope is built on nothing less than the Messiah's blood and righteousness. This life that I live now is a good life. I love my wife. I have a good marriage. I love all of my children. I'm having grandchildren now. Yahweh has blessed me immensely, way more than Brother Matthew deserves. But my best life is not now. Joel Osteen's book is wrong. It's not your best life now. I will get a life later where there will be no more sorrow No more depression. No more pain. I'll live in a kingdom wherein dwells righteousness. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more leukemia. There will be total righteousness 
and total healing. Revelation 21. There will only be joy and love without end. There will only be commandment keeping and no longer commandment breaking. Our hearts will be fully in tune with Yahweh. His law will be totally written on our hearts. It's not totally written there now, else we wouldn't need anybody to teach us. We wouldn't need to study anymore. But it's a process. Eventually it will be totally written upon our hearts and the new covenant will be completely fulfilled. Or we'll need no man to teach us. For we'll all know Yahweh from the least to the greatest. And there is levels in the kingdom of heaven. From the least to the greatest. That's only for those who are in the Messiah. That's only for those who sow according to the Spirit. Only those who sow by the Spirit, which the reason you're able to sow to the Spirit is because you're in the Messiah. You'll reap eternal life from the Spirit, but if you sow to the flesh and you plant seeds of the flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. Those outside of the Messiah might experience some good things now. But don't be deceived. Yahweh will not be mocked. There will be a judgment. And all those who spent this life sowing to their flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. Only those who sow to the Spirit will get life everlasting. So verse 9, Paul says, So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Sometimes we do good, and we do good, and we do good, and we help this person, and we help that person. We help our neighbor, and we help our grandmother, and we help our mom, and we help our children. And nothing changes. It seems like we just go through the motions and we get stuck in a rut of doing good. And we think about, it crosses our mind, I wonder what another life would be like. I wonder if I went this route, if it would be any better. I wonder if I served this God, if it would be any better. We wonder if we've made the right decision sometimes, following the Creator, following Yahweh. We ponder about unbelievers that we know that seem to live a pretty decent life. We wonder if all that we do for the Spirit is worth it. Well, that's why verses like verse 9 are in our Bible. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Let me encourage you today. It's going to be worth it all. Some beautiful and happy day. (laughs) Worth every mile, every heartache, every trial. Don't get tired of doing good. Listen, don't get tired of keeping the commandments. Don't grow weary and think it doesn't matter. Dig your heels in and say, I'm going to live for Yahweh no matter what anyone else around me does. No matter what happens in this world, I'm going to serve Yahweh. Yahweh's going to have me serving Him. Don't grow weary of doing what is right. And the word right is the root word of righteous and righteousness. So don't grow weary of doing righteousness. You want to know what righteousness is? Psalm 119 says all His commandments are righteousness. Don't grow weary of doing the commandments. There are times, let me give you an example in my own experience. There are times when I wonder if all the work that I put into the ministry is doing any good. And you say, Brother Matthew, you know, you wonder that? He said, yes, I'm human. I'm not superhuman. I'm a human just like you guys, right? I had one guy one time that he only knew me in the church setting. And then one, one day I watched a football game with him. And he told me afterwards, he said, I didn't realize you were normal. Because <laughs> he'd only heard me preach. 
in the, in the church or, or over the phone. Never never spent any time with them. And we talked a little scripture, but you know, I jumped up when the, the Georgia Bulldogs made a touchdown and threw a threw a long ball and everything, and and they were playing the. Uh, Tennessee Volunteers and Georgia won, and I rubbed it in on him a little bit, you know. And he said, "That was fun. I didn't realize you were normal, brother Matthew. I'm human too, you know. I have I have trouble. I have doubts, and and sometimes I wonder, is all the work that I put into the ministry doing any good? Because I labor and I toil and I study, and I wonder if anybody's listening. And so when I when I when I don't feel like people get it, I study harder." I put out more material. I try to fashion my sermons where they're easier to understand because a, a good preacher, a good theologian doesn't make things harder to understand. Anybody can get up and talk and sound complicated. Yeah. A good pastor or theologian makes something that might be difficult easy to understand. So I try to do that and to explain things better and on and on it goes. And I will tell you that there have been a couple of times when I've almost stopped doing the ministry work. I've almost given it up completely. I've told Tisha, I said, I'm through. I'm done. I just want to be a layman. I just want to sit and enjoy life, you know, and listen to somebody teach. But I've never been able to give up. I believe that it's because Yahweh put it in me to do what I'm doing. I believe that. I don't say that pridefully at all. I I believe Yahweh has given me the gift of teaching His Word and the gift of a burden towards people. And He won't let me stop. There'll be a day when I'm finished with my work and Yahweh Himself will remove me. I've tried to move away from this place twice. And Yahweh would never let Tisha and I move away. And we wondered, why can't we get gone? Why can't we get gone? And one day she told me, she said, Matthew, I know why Yahweh won't let us leave. It's because He wants us at this congregation. He needs us here. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to quit trying to fight Him and stop. And I'm just going to plant here. And things have worked out great since we did that. So... What happens though, whenever I go through one of them periods of doubt or, or, or depression, some type of depression, what will happen is I'll get a call or a text from one of you. <laughs> it always happens. Out of the blue. I'll get a card in the mail. I'll have someone tell me, I needed that sermon last week. And, and I'll be spending the whole week thinking, man, I didn't really teach a good sermon last week. It didn't feel like it came out right. One time recently, in, the, in last year, in 2019, I taught a sermon... And afterwards, I told Tisha, I said, it just, I didn't feel like I connected with the people. I, I feel like I let the people down. I feel like I didn't bring out the study notes. And before I got home, I had gotten three texts from people in this congregation. One of them actually was listening to my phone, still considered to be part of the congregation. They just live in an area where they don't have any fellowship. Three texts said that was exactly the sermon that I needed to hear that night. I looked over it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not in control. Yahweh's in control, right? I'm not the Holy Spirit. Yahweh's the Holy Spirit. I'll get emails from people sometimes that I don't even know. And they'll say, Brother Matthew, we've been listening to you for years and we just want to thank you for all the work that you put into the ministry. And let me tell you, that's like a shot of adrenaline because you realize all the hours and hours and hours and years of study that you do are making a difference in people's lives. It's great. Don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of doing good. You say, well, I'm not the preacher. It doesn't matter. You're just as much part of the body as I am. We're one body. We have many members. All members have not the same office. The big toe can't say to the hand, you're not part of the body because you're not the big toe. The hand can't say to the nose, you're not part of the body because you're not the hand. You all make a difference. You all matter. 
to, to the Almighty. Don't get tired of doing good because you'll reap at the proper time if you don't give up. Sometimes Yahweh lets us get to our breaking point before He shows up. Why does He do that? He does it so that we can learn to rely on Him rather than us. He wants you to rely on Him rather than you. We're good at trying to fix everything ourselves. But what do we do when we leave Yahweh out? We end up making a mess of everything. He hands you the reins sometimes. He says, okay, I'll I'll let you be in control. Hand you the reins just so you realize you can't do it. (laughs) Just so you realize you can't handle the horse. He is the giver of all good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Falling down from the Father of lights. You will reap a harvest at the proper time. Don't forget that part, at the proper time, if you don't give up. The proper time is not Matthew's time, not Jerry's time, not John's time. It's Yahweh's time. You might think that the proper time needs to be your time. The time that you think you need it most. But Yahweh knows you better than you know yourself. And the proper time is only determined by our Father, the Creator of time. So all the good that you do, all the loving your neighbor that you do, every man, woman, and child, every man who works hard day in and day out, he gets hurt, but he keeps going and he guides his home in the commandments. Every woman who keeps the home, every, every diaper that gets changed, every woman who sometimes cries herself to sleep at night because it's so overwhelming, everything that she's got to handle. Every person who just lives day after day doing what the Creator has given them to do. Every kind word that you speak, every gift that you give to the poor or to the widow or to the orphan. Every act of self-control, every time that you let somebody run over you because you take the high spiritual road. Every time you put somebody else's needs in front of your own. Every time you attend Sabbath service. Every time you sing a praise song to Yahweh. Every time you bow your head to pray even when you don't feel like it, every time that you have spoken and witnessed about Yahweh to other people, all of this is taken into account and remembered by the Almighty. He has a book of remembrance, the prophet Malachi tells us. Whether it seems like it or not, you're storing up treasures in heaven where there's no thief to steal it and no moth to corrupt it. Don't get tired of doing good. For at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. You are planting seed after seed of righteousness when you do all these things. Have you ever seen those memes going around on Facebook or the internet? I like memes. My daughter, my oldest daughter and I, we share memes back and forth. She comes up with some funny ones. I do too. But there was one that went around recently that I saw where this person was looking in the mirror after they ate a salad and it said, me, after I ate a salad, looking in the mirror at night, seeing if the salad... Did any work, you know? And in other words, you can't just eat a salad and lose all the weight. You you can't just eat a salad and all of a sudden think, "Well, I'm healthy now. It's going to be all right." Now you've been eating pizza and and you know Cracker Barrel and corn dogs and all this kind of stuff. You know, a one sauce. One we heard today at the funeral that the granddaddy that had died he liked to eat his Lay's potato chips with mustard and a one sauce mixed together. So you say, well, I'm going to eat one salad. That'll balance it all out. No, that don't work like that. It takes time. If you want to start eating healthy, it takes time. Right? You can't just eat one day healthy and think, all right, I'm healthy now. Come on. 
Cholesterol levels got to go down. All the other stuff's got to be fixed. No, it takes time. It takes time. Uh, that meme is so funny because it's true. We want immediate results. We live in a world, especially in our modern time, where if somebody is just like 30 seconds late, we're like, oh, why are they so late? Sometimes it takes your entire life to get your reward. And your reward will be at the resurrection of the righteous. Yeshua told a parable. I think it's in Luke 14. It's not in my notes. I think it's in Luke 14. I know it's in the Gospel of Luke. And He told a parable that when you hold a banquet or a feast, He said, don't don't invite everybody that can pay you back. It's okay to invite people that pay you back, but don't that, that shouldn't be your goal. But invite the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. Invite the people that can't repay you. He said, because you'll be paid back at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what we're looking for, see? I think sometimes there are people that serve Yahweh here on the earth that are very quiet, very meek, very humble, and we might think they don't do a whole lot for Yahweh, but when it comes resurrection time, we're going to find out they get a greater reward than somebody that was flashy or showy or that we thought did so much stuff for Yahweh. We're like, whoa, we didn't know she was going to get that reward. Look at that big crown. Look at those jewels. Look at that seat and that position that He gets. They'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. Don't talk about folks. You don't know who's given to who. Somebody might be given scripturally and not letting their left hand know what their right hand does instead of shouting and blowing a trumpet when they give their alms. You don't know what people are doing. But our reward is at the resurrection. Sometimes we get rewards now. Sometimes we get attaboys now. Sometimes we get pat on the backs. But our reward, our ultimate reward is at the resurrection of the righteous. You say, but I want a little bit of my reward now, Brother Matthew. No. Don't worry about that. If it comes, that's fine. But don't worry about it. That's like the scribes and Pharisees. Yeshua said, they have their reward now. (laughs) But you're looking for the kingdom of heaven, though, is what you need to be looking for. Sometimes rewards happen now, but it's not a guarantee. Sometimes Yahweh's plan for us is hardship. Sometimes Yahweh has a task for us that doesn't feel good. But in the end, the harvest will be so abundant. Everybody is not an overcomer in the physical Read Hebrews 11. We call it the great faith chapter. When I was growing up, the preachers called it the hall of faith, playing off the hall of fame. In the hall of faith, there at the end, it talks about, in just a few verses, how that some people received their dead back and some people got these great miracles. But then it says others were sawed in two. Others died. I think it quotes a Second Maccabees there where it talks about the, the, the men that would not eat the unclean but chose rather to die in hopes of a greater resurrection. See, So everybody doesn't just get blessed in this life. Just because you go through a hard task or trial, or just because your whole life may seem like it's a, it's a trial, don't give up. You'll reap at the proper time. And a lot, for a lot of people, the proper time is the resurrection. Told somebody not long ago, I was talking about Sister Denise. Sister Denise passed away. She died the sleep of death in November of 2017. But I said, you know, the only two options for her was either to be healed or to be healed. Do you hear what I'm saying? Either she would be healed now and we get to spend more time with her or she'd be healed at the resurrection. There's no other option. Either the cancer would be gone or the cancer will be gone. <laughs> That's how we've got to look at it. We don't mourn like those who have no hope. 
We have hope of a resurrection. In the end, the harvest will be abundant. In verse 10, I'll close with verse 10. Paul says, So therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially those of the household of faith. Every time that you have a chance to do good for someone, you do it. Don't worry about who sees you. Don't worry about what anybody says. Don't worry about who gossips about you. Don't worry about people thinking, well, they shouldn't help that person. Just do good to all, this text says. Believers and unbelievers. Listen, I don't have to agree with a person on anything to be kind to that person. If I walk up on the job site and the person there, the customer there is an atheist or gay or Muslim or my personal enemy, I've purposed in my heart that I'm going to work for the good of all people. That doesn't mean that I agree with them. That doesn't mean I hold to the same ideology that they do. It just means they're a person and I'm going to do my duty towards them as a human being as I have the opportunity. Do good to all. But, Paul says, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. And I love this part because I now understand this part. Take special care and interest to do good to those who share the same faith as you do. And ultimately that means you share the same faith as our father Abraham had. The father of faith. Believers should come first in your life as a believer. We're called to love even our enemies. But that does not mean that we have the same level of love for an enemy as we do for a trusted brother or sister in the faith. That's just the truth. This is scriptural. I love all of you, but I love Tisha more. It's because she's she's my wife. And when we're dealing with believers and unbelievers, we can do good to all, but especially those that belong to the household of faith. Believers should come first. Brother TJ and I, Brother TJ's not here this this, uh, service. He's sick. He's battling with, with his cancer right now. I mean, love Brother TJ. I love him. He's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Brother TJ and I are not related in the flesh. What I mean is his last name is Martin. My last name is Jansen. Our parents come from different locations. Our parents didn't know each other. Our grandparents didn't know each other. I never even knew that TJ Martin existed until about 13 or so years ago. We were not cousins who grew up together. We were not even neighborhood friends that played Sandlot baseball. Yet Brother TJ is a friend to me that is closer than a brother. And I told him the other day that I have all the confidence in the world in him. You know what causes that? The Spirit of Yahweh. The gift of faith. We are both in the household of faith. We're a family. We both belong to the same household. It's not the Jansen household. It's not the Martin household. It's not an ethnic household. It's a household of faith. We're connected because we do the will of the Father. Yeshua says, when they said, your mother's outside waiting to see you, He said, who is my mother and my brother and my sister, but those that do the will of my Father? Who is my family? Those that do the will of the Father. That goes for all of us believers. We're connected with one another because our Father has placed a bond there among us that is stronger than any family ties that could exist in the natural. 
The household of faith is the one that we must belong to. This phrase, household of faith, is the culmination of everything that Paul has written in this epistle. And the reason is, is because this epistle was aimed at, the, at this topic. There were Hebrews, Israelite people, in the first century who would shun heathens who believed in the Messiah because those heathens were not like them. They didn't grow up in the Torah. They were uncircumcised in the flesh. They didn't have the same life that they did. They didn't look and smell the same way. And we know that they believed in the Messiah, but that's not enough. They've got to convert to be Jewish or be a Hebrew in order to have salvation. That's what the book of Galatians is about. And they were outcasts by many Hebrews simply because their ancestry and their upbringing did not match up. But again, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? Those that look like me, those who talk like me, those who can go on Ancestry.com and show that they have European blood? No. My family are those who do the will of the Father in heaven. That's my family. It's a household of faith, brothers and sisters. That's my household. It's a family of faith. You need to understand this. Grasp this, Paul says in Galatians 3. It is those who have faith that are Abraham's children. Whether you're part of this family, Galatians 6.10, is not dependent on your physical genealogy. Salvation has never depended on one's physical lineage. It has always been about the one who serves Yahweh by faith and the one who does not serve Yahweh. So you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves the Almighty and the one who does not serve the Almighty. Malachi chapter 3. Shame on us for making it about anything else. Shame on me for once looking at someone else and thinking they're not worthy because of who they are in the flesh. None of us are worthy in the flesh. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Yahweh Almighty makes His masterpieces out of rotten material. Like me and like you. And all of my confusion and all of my strife, He understood that's all I had to offer Him. We used to sing, was brokenness and strife. But He made something beautiful out of my life. Yahweh makes masterpieces out of rotten material. You are what you are by His grace, not because you are anything in yourself. What is most important in matters of relation is faith. is spirit. I've taught all of my children, you don't even... You, you never look for someone to marry that's not of the household of faith. Never. Because it will never work out. Sometimes, praise Yahweh, our blood family is our spiritual family. But that's not an absolute. While everybody matters and we should work for the good of all, those who matter the most, those who we work for first, are those who are of the household of faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in the Messiah. And if we belong to the Messiah, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Roles still exist in this household of faith. 
I've preached on this. Men are still men. Women are still women. Jews are still Jews. Greeks are still Greeks. Slaves, free men, same thing. Roles still exist, but the key is, is that we're one. We're equal in salvation and right standing before the Father. And it's because we are in His Son, the Messiah. I'm thankful to be part of this household of faith today. And I'm thankful for all my fathers, my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters that are members of this family household. You are my family. You are who I will spend eternity with. You are who I want to spend eternity with. The household of faith. I be kind. I try to be kind to everybody and I love everybody. But I don't love everybody the way that I love my spiritual family. I don't. I love you more. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm through. We'll be here next week.